The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. So before I begin my message, I just want to invite any of you that would like to join the elders tomorrow night in prayer for racial reconciliation and for wisdom uh, in our community here in Durham and for the situation in Charlotte and across the nation to join us at 6.30. It's a regularly scheduled elders meeting, but we'd like to invite you to come and pray with us if you'd like to. So if this is something that's been pressing on your heart, something that you just you know, you don't know the answer, you don't know what to do. We don't either. We're just going to look to God and say, Lord, just give us wisdom and help us to minister here in this community. So that's 6.30 to 7.30. Um, and then we're going to ask you to leave because we've got work to do, but I'm just kidding. Maybe you could, you could just join us. Maybe the Holy Spirit will be poured out on us in an awesome way, and that would be incredible. But we're going to meet in the Welcome Center where we usually meet. And if enough of you come or a large number of you come, we'll move and transition in here for an hour of prayer. And then just be praying, even if you can't come at 6.30, just be praying for us to have wisdom to know how to minister here in Durham in light of recent events. So I'd like to turn our attention now to Ephesians 6, specifically verse 18. And there Paul urges us to pray in the Spirit as the capstone to his teaching on spiritual warfare. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're going to look at each of those phrases today. And it really is remarkable how Paul brings this incredible letter to a close with a a really intensive focus on prayer. We're going to look one more uh, week at it next week and specifically praying for evangelism and missions. As Paul asks prayer for himself to boldly, clearly share the gospel. And uh, we're going to talk about that more next week. But it's amazing, the astonishingly deep theology of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the reasoning, the teaching, the unfolding of of deep Christian doctrine, all of that means nothing if it doesn't result in a deep, consistent, full prayer life with Almighty God. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, the ultimate test of the Christian life is the amount of time that we give to prayer. The amount of time that we give to prayer. The end to which all knowledge and teaching in Scripture is meant to bring us is to know God, to have fellowship with God, to realize our utter dependence on Him and the power of His might. To realize it intensively, to feel it, and to turn it back up to God in prayer. That's the measure of of maturity in Christ. So all Christians should have a full, deep, personal prayer life for themselves Every day begun with with a rich time of worship, of confession of sin, of thanksgiving, scriptural meditation, watchful preparation in the context here for spiritual warfare, mindful of the fact fact that you yourself are going to be assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you need to get ready for that, to put on the spiritual armor, to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, that you need to get yourself ready by putting on The full armor of God, each piece put on with prayer. And then having done everything in preparation that you should stand firm in the day of testing. But what verse 
uh, 18 does for me is it gets me to branch out and look horizontally at other brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to go through the exact same thing I am today. And that I should care about that. It should matter to me that my brothers and sisters throughout the world are going to go through the same kinds of assaults that I am. And I should be praying for them. We should be drawing our hearts together in intercessory prayer. Some time ago, a number of weeks ago, I was meditating on Elijah. And I was thinking about James 5.16, which talks about the prayer of elders for a sick person, saying the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Therefore, pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other. And then it says... The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So we we should pray for each other because it's powerful and effectual, the King James Version says. Effectual. It produces an effect. Now later in this message, I'm going to talk about how that has scrambled my brain my entire Christian life and probably will never get unscrambled. But I'm going to talk about how I've gotten past that to still pray and, and pray fervently. But there is a power. An amazing power in prayer taught throughout the scriptures. And then he gives us this example of Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. Again he prayed. And the heavens produced the rain. The earth produced its crops. So that's an example. Now... In my mind, I just I was going to the story of Elijah. Now, Elijah is a an amazing individual. You know, when you say he was just like us, it's like, huh. But what are you saying? He's just human. He's just a human being. That's all he was, just a regular human being. And you remember the story how he pops up in the account in 1 Kings 17, just pops up and confronts wicked King Ahab with these words. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, there will be no rain or dew on the land except by my word going forward. And then he disappears. And the Lord commanded him to go to the brook Kareth. Remember that where he said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. It's a fascinating account. And I remember meditating on that. And so in the morning, the ravens would bring him food. And then in the evening, the ravens would bring him food. And it hit me. This question came to me. What did he do the rest of the day? I mean, there certainly wasn't any cell coverage out there at the Brook Kedron. I don't think he brought any books with him. He didn't have anyone to talk to. He did have that raven meal to look forward to. That was going to be good. My guess is it probably wasn't sumptuous, but just enough to keep him going. He had the brook to drink from. Now what? Okay, I've eaten the raven breakfast. Drunk a little bit from the brook. I'm good there. What now? I don't think he wondered what to do at all. He spent his day in prayer with God. He walked with God, like Enoch, like Noah. He walked with God. He had such a deep, rich, full relationship with God that it was delightful to him to spend it in prayer. Now, what James tells us, what we didn't know, is that before he even shows up in the account, he's already fervently prayed that it wouldn't rain. That's already happened. The account actually doesn't tell us. James tells us that. We don't have any information about that. James told us. He prayed earnestly, fervently that it would not rain. An odd prayer if you think about it. 
But he did it because that was in the curses, the, the Mosaic curses, that if the, if the land turns to idolatry, which Israel definitely had, that one of the curses, the covenant curses, would be drought. He prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. And then, in the course of time, God commanded Elijah to show himself and to have a contest with the prophets of Baal. And you remember all of that, how that turns out, one of the most dramatic moments in redemptive history. Elijah versus the, the hundreds of wicked prophets of Baal and how they cried out to a God that didn't exist. Oh, Baal, hear us. Remember how there was the contest and they each had set up an altar with sacrifice and all that, but not to light the fire. And the fire would come down from heaven and the God who answers by fire, he is God. But Baal didn't hear. There was no answer. There was no one there. The fervent prayer of the prophets of Baal did not effect anything. It was not powerful at all because there is no Baal. But then it was time for Elijah to show the power of God in answer to prayer. And remember how he has them soak the sacrifice with water, do it again, do it a third time. It's just totally soaked with water down to the trench. The whole thing's drenched. And then he prays this simple prayer. Elijah was a man just like us, and he just prayed this prayer. He said, oh, Lord. And he effectively said, oh, Lord, answer by fire. So that, number one, all people may know that you are God. And number two, that I have done all of these things at your command. Now, that's the mystery. God's sovereign initiative and Elijah's prayer and God answered by fire. He sent fire from heaven and it consumed everything there. And the people fell down and said, the Lord, he is God. But Elijah's praying wasn't done for that day. He got down and prayed that it would rain that day because the Lord had already revealed to him, today was the day the rain was coming. Elijah was just responding at every moment to God's initiative. And, and then the Lord heard and answered Elijah's prayer and it was just rain pouring down from heaven. This powerful thing, this prayer. No, I don't understand how it all works, but I know this. The people of God are under constant assault by the world, the flesh, and the devil, including you. And prayer is a mighty, powerful, effective force in defending ourselves against Satan's attacks. I also know this. We're called on to mission. We're called on to advance the two infinite journeys. We're called on to advance internally in personal holiness. We're called on to advance with the gospel to those who are presently lost. Or even more, to those who have no possibility of hearing the gospel today. Frontier missions. We're called on to move out. And I say to you, both the internal journey and the external journey will be bitterly opposed every step of the way by satanic forces. And only by prayer are we going to make even a single step of progress. So we must pray. So we're coming to the topic of prayer and spiritual warfare. Look at the context again. You've heard it read. Verse 10 through 13. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If I can just stop and say you do that by prayer. <laughs> That's how you are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Draw near to him in prayer. Oh God, give me power and strength to fight the devil today. 
Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. So I told you those three steps. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Draw near to him in prayer to do that. Put on the elements of the full armor of God. Each one of them reminding you of some aspect of God's saving work in your soul. Each piece put on with prayer, as the hymn writer put it. And then when the day of evil comes at the time of testing, stand. Those are the three steps. But now what we're going to do is we're going to reach out horizontally to seek to help brothers and sisters do the same thing. That we're not alone. We're in an army. We're in a family. We're in a family that's at war. So verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. There's a sense of super saturation in that language. All, 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 every, that kind of thing. So we're going to look at it phrase by phrase. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So in spiritual warfare, prayer works in concert with the previous commands. They work together, the ministry of the word and prayer. I think we should see a strong connection between verse 17 and 18. NIV starts like a new command in verse 18, but it really is just a continuation. Taking up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit. So there's taking up the word, taking up prayer. They harmonize beautifully, powerfully. Last week, we looked at that first step, the first issue of praying in the Spirit. This is vital. This is the most vital aspect of our prayer lives. Cold, lifeless prayer is dead. It's worthless. But the Spirit, as we saw last week from Romans 8, 26 and 27, is given to help us in our weakness, specifically in prayer. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He does that in a variety of ways. Most importantly, by the fact that He Himself is interceding for us as Jesus is at the right hand of God. The Spirit is interceding for you. So you are entering into the prayer ministry of Jesus and the Spirit as you pray in the Spirit. It's already going on. But the Spirit also teaches us what to pray for. So we said last week praying in the Spirit is praying for the right things in the right manner. And then I brought you to the book of Revelation. Remember how we saw, we followed the phrase, in the Spirit, four times. In the Spirit, in the Spirit. John was in the Spirit on Patmos and saw Jesus the mediator, the resurrected, glorified mediator, by whom we intercede, through whom we have access into the throne room of God. Keep Jesus in mind as you intercede. Praying in the Spirit means intensely mindful of Jesus' blood shed for you to open up access for you into the second vision, Revelation 4, John was in the spirit, went through a doorway into heaven and saw a throne with someone seated on it, the throne of Almighty God, the God of the universe, the King over all kings, the Lord over all lords. That's Almighty God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. All the people are like grasshoppers, like drop, drops from a bucket and dust on the scales. This is this infinite God. Praying in the spirit is mindful of the sovereign power of God and the wisdom of God. 
And then thirdly, in Revelation 17, remember, in the spirit, he, he traveled and he moved and he saw uh, this, this woman on a beast, and it represented this satanic, evil, wicked world system. This woman drunk with the blood of the saints and, and intoxicated with the, the lusts of this age and how we can see through spiritual eyes the danger of the world system we're in. That's the opposition we're facing. And so to pray in the Spirit is to be very mindful of Babylon, so to speak, and all of the attacks on our soul that's going to come. Pray in the Spirit, finally, in Revelation 21, is to see the, the bride of Christ glorified, radiant, and beautiful. How we're going to win in the end. We're going to be glorious. We're going to make it. We're going to make it through. All of the elect are going to be saved. They're going to be, they're going to be glorified. They're going to be in heaven. No one will be, will be lost. And it's going to be radiant and beautiful in heaven. And we see that and we pray toward that end. So that was last week. Now we're going to extend out to pray for all the saints. We're going to think about intercessory prayer. The Spirit's going to lead us to pray for the saints. Now, again, the word saints does not mean what the Roman Catholic Church meant on September 4th when it canonized Mother Teresa. I read, in preparation for this sermon, I read the rules of canonization of becoming a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. I got more confused, not less. It's an elaborate process. So I don't really know what they mean by saint. I know that in my town there was St. Anselm's and St. Jeremiah's and all that. And I was a Catholic and I went to St. Jeremiah's and then we went to St. Anselm. So the saints are especially special people um, who have done specially special things and they're voted on by the church. And they're seen to be saints worthy of special veneration. I don't think any of that's true. I don't think that's where, what the Bible teaches. Saints are believers in Jesus, simply put. Ephesians 1.1, right at the beginning, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So the faithful in Christ Jesus are the saints. See the same thing in Philippians 1. He writes to the saints in Philippi and, and all over. The, these are just the set-apart ones, set-apart unto God. We are the holy ones. We're made holy by our faith in Christ. That's what saints are. So we're to pray for other Christians. Now, Paul's already given us examples in this book of prayer for the saints, and he, and he prays that. In Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray, all, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There's that phrase, and his incomparably great power for those who believe, for us who believe. So Ephesians 1. And then Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you, being uh, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul's praying that all the saints would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. A sense of the fullness of God. So Paul gives us examples of that. Paul's also given us in the book of Ephesians a vision for the church. A vision for the people of God, for the church. And we are to see this, Ephesians 2, this holy temple, this spiritual structure rising. I love that. That dynamism, it's rising to become a, a temple in which God lives by his spirit. It's in construction. And as we brought in 1 Peter 3, the new, the, the uh, living stones that are quarried from Satan's dark kingdom. And they're put into the walls and it's just rising. And every conversion, every, every elect person who comes to faith in Christ, it just got a little bit bigger, a little more glorious. Awesome. And that's going on now. That's what, that's what the Gillows are going to do to be part of that. We get to be part of that too here in Durham and to the ends of the earth. We get to add new people through evangelism and missions to that, that 
that church. And it's becoming more glorious, not just by evangelism, but also by discipleship, by, by sanctification. It's becoming more glorious by, by putting sin to death and growing in holiness. We're more radiant. We have to have a vision for that. Ephesians 4 has a vision more of a, of a body uh, joined and held together by supporting ligaments. And it's growing and building itself in, up in love. So we have two different images, but it's the same thing. It's the people of God, the church, getting more and more glorious and more and more per- perfect in Christ. We need to pray about that. That's what we're getting at here in verse 18. We need to be involved in that in prayer, by prayer. And so we have to see first and foremost that our brothers and sisters are under attack. They're under attack, under spiritual attack. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's happening to you too. But the same things that are happening to you are happening to everyone else around the world. And you should care about that. It should matter to you. Universal satanic attack. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith listen to this because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings same kind as what same kind as you are so you should take the attacks you're experiencing in your soul and then just normalize them horizontally and say everybody's going through this 1 Corinthians 10:13 no temptation has seized you except what is common to man so what, what Satan tries to do, he likes to isolate us, to separate us. So we're on our own. He can pick us off one at a time. So he likes to isolate us from the body of Christ. Together, we're terrifyingly powerful to him. But isolated, he can pick us off. So if you are isolated as you face satanic assault, you're going to think that you alone are going through these kind of things. You're going to feel especially dirty Especially weird, alone, very alone on this struggle. There's no one you can talk to. No one would understand what you're going through. Satan's a master at isolating us. This will tend to increase our guilt at our sin. In a very bad way, I mean. Make us feel that we are unique and really, to some degree, unforgivable. Because it's just such a special set of wickedness in our lives. Or, if we're going through afflicting circumstances, trials, it will have the effect of greatly increasing our complaining, our discontent. No one knows the troubles I see. No one's going through what I'm going through. No one. It's like, well, if I could just share with you, brother, sister, others are going through similar things. They're not exactly like what you're going through, but actually people are going through these kinds of afflictions. Praying for others then lifts our eyes off of our immediate circumstances up to, up to heaven, up to Almighty God. And from heaven, horizontally, pray for this brother, pray for this sister. Things are going on. And then little by little, you're less discontent in your own circumstance. You're more powerfully able to fight, fight sin in your life. Just health starts coming from looking up and then looking around you to the body of Christ. Intercessory prayer. It also tends to humble you, tends to make you realize it's not just Jesus and me, just us two. You know, Jesus is doing a work that's going to blow your mind. Just think of what the words, a multitude greater than anyone could count, looks like. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of million, millions of people redeemed by Jesus. 
I just think the more you meditate on that, the more humble you'll get. <laughs> just think about that. I'm one of 500 million. <laughs> There's a lot of people that God has loved. It just tends to humble us. So we have to band together. So therefore, if our brothers and sisters are persecuted, we should care. We should intercede for them. If they're going through natural disasters like hurricanes or floods or earthquakes or different things and they've lost their homes, we should care about them. And we can care far more in prayer than we can by any physical means of ministry. There's a limit to how much time, energy, money we have. We have to be wise about how we can. But in prayer, our hearts can become very expansive. And we can be grieved about certain We can weep about certain situations that we will never personally touch. But we can care about it and pray. And if individuals are struggling with sin, it should matter to us. Especially in the local church that we're committed to. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, talking about all of his sufferings, you know, five times I was beaten, you know, with 30 lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, all this stuff. On top of all that, the shipwrecks and all that, you almost get the sense this is the worst of all. It's the constant pressure I feel of my concern for all the churches. I'm constantly worried about how they're doing spiritually. And then he says this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? That's that horizontal connection. I care about the sins that my brothers and sisters are struggling with. It matters to me if there's sin in our church. Horizontally, it should matter to me. So, we're praying in the Spirit for all the saints. We're going to reach out and pray. Now, here we come to the mystery of prayer. Now, I touched on it at the beginning. And I don't fully understand. It's just a mystery. The psychology of prayer, the spirituality of prayer, what it does to me... Makes perfect sense. And for that reason alone, it's worth doing. It recalibrates my mind, makes me more heavenly minded, makes me more loving toward other people, makes me, makes me, makes me do all. All of that's true and good and right. But how about this slogan? Ever heard this one? Prayer changes things. That's where my brain gets scrambled. Changes from what? They haven't happened yet. See, that's, that's my engineering mind. That's why I just think too much. Pastor, you overthink things. Just pray. Amen. I'm going to just pray. How does prayer change things? All right. Well, I think what that means is, like, before we prayed, there was this situation. Then we prayed, and this situation got much better by biblical patterns. I think that's what it means, and I think that's simply true. I've reasoned it out this way, that prayer it works this way. That it's part of God's sovereign plan. He knew that we were going to pray. He motivates us to pray ahead of time, but he won't do the X until we pray. So he withholds certain blessings from a prayerless people. You won't get that thing. So, and then when you pray, then it happens. I read the story about the, uh, the pilgrims. Uh, you know that they landed uh, in Cape Cod and then had a really rough winter. And then uh, they survived somehow, planted some crops, and then had the first Thanksgiving celebration in 1621. That's true. But in 1622, they did not plant enough crops to celebrate they couldn't afford a feast so they didn't have it 1623 they planted far more crops but there was a drought for many 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 weeks as a matter of fact it was so great that the native americans said they'd never seen anything like it they had no memory of such a, a drought their lives were hanging in the balance so the leadership of that community called the people together and said we need to fast and pray they got together they fasted they prayed they prayed all day by the evening storm clouds were gathering literal clouds 
by that evening. The next morning there came a gentle rain that continued on and off intermittently with some sunshine and then some more rain uh, for 14 days. <sighs> Praise God. Do you think those people thought it was an answer to prayer? <laughs> I'm thinking it does. Now, can I figure all that out? No, I can't figure it out. But I'll, let me just give you an illustration that's been helpful for me, geek that I am. On our refrigerator, we have a bunch of things that we like looking at. Artwork, prayer cards, photographs. They're held to the refrigerator by magnets. Thank you. How, how many of you understand magnetism? One of you raise your hand. I'm going to talk to her afterwards, okay? <laughs> I'm serious. You get a powerful magnet. You put it about six inches above a paperclip. And what happens to a paperclip? Like that. Zip. Can you explain that? Neither can I. But it works. I don't need to figure out the physics of it. They don't know either. I can tell you right now. I've known some of the smartest physicists in the world, and they don't know either. They just have fancier names and more descriptions of the phenomenon. But they don't know either. Any more than they know gravity. So it's a mystery, but it works. All I know is I got this thing, I go, thunk, and there it is. It's just up there, and it's great. And so... When we go to the Word of God and we find out what God's doing in the world and then we get on our knees and we pray and we keep praying and then this blessing comes that wasn't there before, we can say prayer changes things and God answers prayer. And that's the best I can do. If you have another answer, that's fine. It doesn't matter to me. Just pray. Pray in the Spirit and pray for the things that God's called you to pray for. It's very difficult to work out God's sovereignty and human responsibility, but we know that God answers prayer powerfully. So now what I want to do for the rest of the time is just step through the phrases to learn something about intercessory prayer. I'm going to try to be as practical as I can in the remaining minutes that we have. We've already talked about being in the Spirit. Let me say again, the first thing you need to do to intercede for all the saints is to be sure you're in the Spirit. So what you do is you look, take a recent spiritual temperature check. Have I been in the Spirit going, leading up into this prayer time? Have I been characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Ask those near you, would you say that's characterized me this afternoon? <laughs> and if you don't need to ask and you know it's not, then you need to begin by confessing your sin to God and asking for forgiveness. Ask Him to forgive you for the sins that He brings to your mind. And then pray to be filled with the Spirit. Begin by praying to be filled with the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Don't waste your time praying if you're not in the Spirit. It would be a waste of time. Start there. Secondly, it says pray at all times effectively. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So what this means is all different opportunities, different times, different occasions in your life for prayer. So what I think first and foremost is just make time for prayer. I believe you need to have a concentrated prayer time doing nothing but praying every day. I believe it's best first thing in the day, early in the morning, like Jesus did. It's not the same as praying while driving. I think praying while driving is a very good thing, as long as you keep your eyes open. <laughs> that would be a, a bad form of distracted driving. I don't, Calvin's taking driver education. I don't know that they've covered prayer while driving. <laughs> Thinking not, but uh, you can pray, but keep your eyes open. But I'm talking about not that. I'm not talking about the praying without ceasing. I'll get to that in a moment. I'm talking about a concentrated prayer time which you're doing nothing but pray. And like we said last week, remember praying Hyde, how it took like 10 minutes for him to get his heart quiet and right before God and know who he's talking to. We can't always do that. 
but there are really special, important times we should do every day. And I'm talking about your quiet time. Then having had your quiet time, you can have other occasions like that through the day. Daniel did them three times a day. Three times a day. So you, you, don't, you, you can extend those. It doesn't just have to be in the morning. You could do it in morning, noon, and night. But having had that quiet time, then you're going to want to, secondly, pray without ceasing. So all occasions. Praying at all times. But so we're having a concentrated prayer time. And then you're going to have praying without ceasing through the day. And then we can have other times, like special prayer meetings. Like I just invited you to come and pray with the elders tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. P.m. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just want to be clear. But 6.30 in the, in the, in the afternoon, that's p.m. But that's a special, a special prayer meeting. You have prayer times with your home fellowship. Pray in the Spirit on those times. So you have all occasions for that, all right? Seize time. Secondly, pray with all kinds of prayer. There are different types of prayers that we pray. On all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He uses two words there, prayers and requests. So I'm not going to go into the details of different types of, of words for prayer, but there are many different types of words for prayer. But the point is there's just different patterns of prayer. Use them all. Use them all. So there are quick prayers, longer prayers, there are pre-written prayers, planned prayers, impromptu prayers, corporate prayers, small group prayers, retreat prayers, Nehemiah-like prayers, you know, where Nehemiah's there, the cupbearer of the king, and he asks, you know, he's about to make a big ask of the king. And right before he does, he prays and then answers the king. So those are those quick, you know, shoot an arrow up to heaven type prayers. And there are lots of things to pray for. So give time to praying for all the saints. I think you need to organize it. I need to organize it. I, I've prayed best in intercessory prayer by being organized. So I would suggest that you organize your prayer life. John Piper talked about having no organization in your prayer life is like going off on a family vacation with no plan. I love that picture. Whole family gets in the car. They're all there, dressed as they were that afternoon or morning or whatever. Here we are. Where are we going? Family vacation. Oh, huh. Um, where are we going? Don't know. We're just driving. Pulls out of the driveway. Does he go left? Does he go right? We don't know. That's just ridiculous. So we don't do that. We have to plan and think ahead of time how it's going to be. The more organized that we are in our prayers, I think, the better to a point. I'm not saying we can't immediately be moved. We hear something and pray. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in general for intercessory prayer, be organized. I would suggest concentric circles. Pray much more frequently for the people much closer to you. So if you're married, pray for your spouse every day and even multiple times a day. Okay? Same thing for your kids or your parents, depending on where you're at in the family. So your family. If you're single, there's going to be a tight circle of people you know best. So that brings us to most people's second circle, and that is pray for your church family. Uh, pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ you know best who are around you, people in your home fellowship, people that you interact with, accountability partners, people that you meet together with. Pray for them consistently and regularly. What should you pray? I think you can write down requests. You can keep a prayer notebook. If you can remember it, do it, but just concentrate. Uh, pray also for the leadership of the church. Pray for the elders, the deacons. Pray for key leaders in the church, women ministry leaders, others that you know are just playing a key role in the life of the church. Pray for them. And then just pray, concentric circles, pray for the whole church. Pray for them by name. Go, for, go through the, the, the phone book, the directory, uh, the church directory. And just, we've said this before, but just pray through it, I think, once a month. So you're praying for, like, those people that you don't know so well just once a month. You can go out like that, etc. And then 
further out in, in concentric circles, pray for our community, for the Raleigh-Durham area, for what's going on in the city, what's going on in this, in this area, and extend it a little further out to the state, like Charlotte, North Carolina, different things that are going on. Pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for the saints in these locations. Pray for other churches here in the Raleigh-Durham area. Pray for uh, folks that are ministering in Charlotte. Pray mindful. We'll get to that in a moment, but pray mindful. And then further out, pray for our nation. What's going on in the U.S.? Again, pray for Christians. Pray for Christians in Washington, D.C. Pray for Christians in Massachusetts, different others, uh, etc. Just things that you know. I, I mentioned Massachusetts because I found out that there's some new law that churches in Massachusetts have to have like gender-neutral uh, bathrooms and have to use gender appropriate pronouns as the individuals define. This is going to be a terrible thing for freedom of religion if it takes root not just in Massachusetts but to throughout the nation. So pray about that. Pray for the proper response to these kinds of things. Praying and then to the world. Reaching out to the world. Next week we're going to talk more about how to pray for missionaries, how to pray for the spread of the gospel. But just concentric circles. Pray for special categories. We'll talk more, more about it next week. But missionaries reaching uh, unreached people groups. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. I went to Voice of the Martyrs website this morning. Just, you know, look at it again and just see what was going on. There was a brother there, an, an elder in, a, 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 in the Philippines, who was uh, killed by Muslims, according to the story. I don't know that much about the story, but they have been trying to kind of get the land that the church owns. And the church has been resisting, and now this man is killed. And, you know, you're not 100% sure is it persecution, but it sure looks that way. And there are things like this all over the world. There are nations that are making laws that make it difficult to be Christians in that. So pray for the persecuted church. Pray for Christians that are facing disasters, natural disasters, etc. Now you may ask, what should we pray for? Well, pray, for a, pray with a purpose. What is God doing in the world? He's saving the elect, moving them from justification through sanctification into glorification. Pray for those things. Pray for Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, pray as Paul teaches us how to pray. Pray for those things. Pray with a purpose. Look at what it says. With this in mind, or ESV has, to that end, pray. So think about what God is doing. He is saving people he chose from before the foundation of the world, making them holy and blameless in Christ. So just walk through the things you've learned uh, theologically, praying purposefully. And then pray alertly. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. So here there's two levels. One is just being aware of what's actually going on for the brothers and sisters you're praying for. What's happening in their lives? What's happening big picture? Being aware of what Satan's doing. For we're not unaware of his schemes. So you're asking people, how can I pray for you? What's happening? I'm alert. I'm aware of what, how Satan's attacking. Or imagine... Like what would a, a pastor who regularly preach, preaches, how would it benefit Satan to pull me down into sin? And if it would be strategic, you could pray for me that that not happen. And not just me, but the other elders. That, that elders, godly elders, are special focuses of satanic attack. Pray for their protection. As many of you do, you tell me that you do. But keep praying for that. So pray, pray alertly, be, be aware. And then just... If I could just say this gently, be alert while you're praying. Have you ever had like a really, really, really quiet, quiet time? You know what I'm talking about? The kind that's really quiet. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like time just flew by. An hour. Don't even know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. 
You know what happened? Same thing that Peter, James, and John were doing when Jesus was praying. What were they doing? <laughs> I've had some really sleepy prayer times. And it's hard. You know, for me, I get up early. And I don't generally have trouble getting up. But sometimes I have trouble getting up and being alert. Sometimes you have to get up and pace back and forth. Stir yourself up. Awake my soul and... Well, don't sing. But, you know, because there's people still sleeping. But it wouldn't be appreciated. You know how it says in Proverbs, to greet your neighbor with a loud greeting in the morning. It will be considered a curse. So don't do that. But I'm praying for you. But be alert. Be alert. I'm amazed how often I get sleepy in prayer almost at any time of day. I actually think it's a satanic attack for me. So I want to be alert while I'm praying. Be alert, be vigilant, be aware of what's happening. And let's be alert what's happening in each other's lives. The church covenant says we will watch over one another in brotherly love. The elders have to do that. We have to be alert. But, you know, be alert in each other's lives. What's happening with you? I've not seen you recently. You're doing okay. How can I pray for you? And then pray with perseverance. It says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. It is so easy to want to just give up in prayer. Jesus told that prayer, the persistent widow, that we should always pray and never give up. Luke 18.1. We tend to give up. George Mueller is one of the greatest examples of persistent prayer you'll ever find. Listen to what he says about persistence in prayer. We must continually continue to wait patiently on God until the blessing we seek is granted. For we observe that nothing is said in the text, ask and it will be given to you, about the time and circumstances of when it will be given. There is a positive promise, ask and it will be given to you, but nothing as to time. Someone may ask, now listen to this, is it necessary I should bring a matter before God two, three, five, or even 20 times? Isn't it enough for me to tell him just once? We might as well say that there's no need to tell him just once, for he already knew before you asked. Very sharp answer. There wasn't ever a need for you to tell him just once if there's no need for you to tell him 20 times. Tell him 20 times. And as a matter of fact, keep on praying until you have the answer. That's what he's saying. He wants us to prove that we have confidence in him, listen, and that we take our place as creatures under the creator. Sometimes he makes us wait just because he's the king. And it would be very bad for our pride if he instantly granted us everything we requested. We'd become so arrogant. We have to wait because it humbles us. He says this, I am now in 1864 waiting upon God for certain blessings for which I have daily besought him for 19 years and 6 months, listen to this, without one day's intermission. 19 years and 6 months. Still the full answer is not given concerning the conversion of certain individuals. In the meantime, I have received many thousands of answers to prayer. I have also prayed daily without intermission for the conversion of other individuals for about 10 years, for other about 6 or 7 years, for others 3, 4, 2 years, for others about 18 months, and the answer is still not, get, uh, not granted. Yet I am daily continuing in prayer and expecting the answer. Be encouraged, dear Christian, with fresh earnestness to give yourself to prayer. If you can only be sure that the things you ask for are according to the will of God. All right, so that's just advice from Ephesians 6.18 on intercessory prayer. Next week I'm going to talk more about praying for the spread of the gospel. It's been my passionate desire to see this church far more evangelistically fruitful than we are. And I think prayer is the key. So next week we're going to talk about that. It would be wrong for me to end, though, without making a direct appeal to lost people to come to faith in Christ. Honestly, you cannot pray in Jesus' name as a non-Christian. The first and most important prayer that you should pray is the prayer of that, 
that broken-hearted tax collector who stood at a distance and wouldn't lift up his eyes but just beat his breast and said, be merciful to me, O God, the sinner. So if you are lost, you're on the outside and you're looking in, I just urge you, call on the name of the Lord Jesus. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that it is because of his shed blood that sinners like us can come into the presence of God and pray. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, save me. And your sins will be forgiven. You don't have to do any good works. Good works will follow, certainly. But, but just by simple faith in Christ, all your sins will be forgiven. Close with me in prayer. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to look at Ephesians and its instruction on prayer. Teach us to pray. Lord, we're not good at it, and we need to grow. Help us to be a praying people. And Lord, I pray specifically for tomorrow at 6.30. Would you call out some people from this church to join with the elders in praying about racial ministry in this city, racial reconciliation, and the joy of seeing the gospel victorious in this very sad and dark time. Lord, I pray that you call out prayer warriors to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would make our church more fruitful and passionate in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.